0: Well, today I am joined by two guests, which is very exciting. Uh, the first of those two is Jessica DeKear Gumby, who is a professor of educational psychology and a university faculty scholar in the Department of Teacher Education and Learning Sciences at North Carolina State University. Her program of research focuses on three areas, race and racial identity, including critical race theory, research methods with an emphasis on mixed methods, and emotions in education. Often using a critical race theory lens, she explores how issues of race and racism impact African-Americans across the lifespan and in various educational contexts. In addition, as a practical and applied methodologist, she examines the research process, teaching others how to utilize specific methodological approaches. Dr. Dakira Gumby is also a former associate editor of the American Educational Research Journal. I'm also joined by Paul Schutz, who is a professor in the Department of Educational Psychology at the University of Texas at San Antonio. His research interests include emotions in education, teacher identity development, and research methods and methodologies. He's a past president of the American Psychological Association's Division 15, Educational Psychology. He's a former co-editor of the Educational Researcher Research, News, and Comments, and a co-editor of the upcoming Handbook of Educational Psychology, Volume 4. His recent publications cover a number of important topics, including research on teacher identity, understanding critical race research methods, and mixed methods. Jessica and Paul have collaborated upon numerous projects, including a book on race and ethnicity in the study of motivation in education, and a book for beginning researchers on how to develop a mixed methods proposal. Today, we're going to talk about another of their scholarly collaborations, their 2014 publication, An Educational Psychologist, entitled Researching Race Within Educational Psychology Contexts. Thank you so much for talking with me today about your work. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. So uh, can you give our listeners a brief summary of this article?
1: Okay. The article is about um, really understanding why we need to study um, race as a construct. And we really want to focus on um, why educational psychology has not really taken that approach in the field. We know in writing a particular article, um, we looked at how psycho- educational psychology specifically has approached um, the study of race rather than, you know the lack of study, study in race. and race. And so that's really how we conceptualized the piece. And we ended up Focusing on ways in which the field can really focus on race, race-related constructs specifically, and ways in which they, can, you know, the field can actually look at other constructs that are in the field of educational psychology from a more race kind of focus. way. Um, so that's kind of how we decided to shape the article.
0: So, I, I think that's really helpful and important. You know, many articles that come out in educational psychologists push the field in a particular direction or build on previous work. But your article is an example of one that really calls on the field to rethink the way it's thinking and acting and kind of is a call to action to the field to start doing things differently. And that's a really important kind of article to put out there. Um, In the article, you provided a really helpful history of the idea and meaning of race in the United States and how it has been used to advance particular political or societal goals. Can you talk a little bit about how you defined race in this article so our listeners understand that critical concept?
1: Well, we look at race as more of a social construction. Um, you know, from a genetic perspective, there's not much difference between, there's really no difference in racial groups. But in, from a sociological perspective, race has a a lot of meaning. Um, you know, we define or we differentiate between people, p- between the way they look and their cultural backgrounds and the way they act. And so, from that perspective, race is very meaningful. Um, you know, but race also changes over time. The way we look at different racial groups may change the way of what's going on politically and socially. So, for instance, pre 9 11, a lot of Middle Eastern groups. Um, um, you know, for in a lot of ways were considered as white. But post 9-11, I would think most a lot of Middle Easterners were not, are not necessarily looked upon as white. They're definitely not tr- necessarily treated as white. So I think the way, so that really puts race in a, a very interesting way. And, you know, it may not necessarily be a real thing, but we treat it in a very real way. It has real meaning, it has real uh, consequences, and so it's, it's very fluid at society level. And then, at as an intra-individual level, it has real, real meaning because you identify in a certain way. And if you don't identify in a certain way, people are going to identify you in a certain way, and they're going to treat you in that way. Um, and so, um, it's really important for us to kind of understand kind of how society sees you racially, and kind of how you see yourself.
0: And I think that focus upon the social historical. Conceptualization of race and how that can lead to or be associated with numerous biological or medical or educational consequences, really helps readers understand why there is a need to think about race differently in educational psychology. And um, both of you may have made a strong case in the article um, that. Educational researchers have studied racial issues in education in a fairly restricted manner, you know, just reporting demographics or comparing relations or effects across racial categories. But you broaden and deepen the work on race in education by arguing for um, adding two additional approaches, one about introducing race-focused constructs and another involving race re-image constructs. Uh, can you help our listeners understand these approaches and how they're distinct from other ways of approaching race in education?
1: Well, we wanted to come up with kind of a broad way of kind of looking at, but at the same time, critiquing um, the way we look at race, particularly in um, educational psychology. And I really want to say that I was was inspired by an article I, you know, you know initially was reading and I talked to Paul about um, article Helms, Jernigan, and Nasher in the art, uh, 2005 article, and American psychologists in which they were discussing utilizing race-focused critiques of methodology and psychology. And so I just want to say it's a larger conversation in psychology about the lack of utilizing race in the work that we do, but there's some areas of psychology that have a little further along. Let's say, you know, you know, counseling psychology or some ele- some elements of developmental psychology. And so, in that particular article, she used the term race-focused critiques. And so, I, you know, so I thought about we really do need to use more race-focused critiques or race-focused approaches here in educational psychology. And so that's where uh, we started with that term. And so using race-focused constructs. Um, and then also thinking about, well, we also need to re-image or reimagine some of the other constructs that we use. And so those are the two basic terms that we came up with. So a race-focused constructs are centered on issues of race and are developed from racial categorizations or racial categorization theories. And they are used, they're usually grounded in these uh, racial or culturally relevant theories. Um, racial constructs are at the center of focus and analysis. And so, and they don't play a cursory role in what you're looking at. They are the center of focus. And these are, for instance, theories like racial identity or racial socialization. One there's used a lot in educational psychology, like stereotype threat. I think that's probably the one that people are most comfortable with using, particularly from a racial standpoint. But then one that we thought was probably would be the most, Useful or one that more people, people will probably be more comfortable with is the race re imaging um, construct. And that when you take traditional constructs within educational psychology, you know, self-efficacy, self-regulation, achievement motivation, um, that are reconceptualized to include racial influence or culturally relevant or social cultural perspectives in order to better understand um, a particular context. And so race relevant constructs are similar to race focused constructs in that they center on race. However, they involve uh, viewing a traditional construct from a, a culturally relevant lens. And so you take self-efficacy, but you focusing on self-efficacy using, for instance, culturally relevant pedagogy or, um, or, or you know, out re- studying Native Americans. You use indigenous education or indigenous theories that help you center self-efficacy to really focus and understand particularly that population. And so that's the way we were um, conceptualizing race-focused constructs as well as race re constructs.
0: So, Jessica, I thought that was really helpful to, to list some of the uh, race-focused constructs that um, could be really useful foci in the field, like racial identity or racial socialization. Um, and I think uh, many people are probably really interested in the race re approaches, which strike me as kind of an emic approach to these ideas, so really asking the question um, not how does self-efficacy apply across racial groups, but rather um, how does a focus on race then help us better understand self-efficacy? Is that a, a fair way of representing um, a race re-imaged approach to self-efficacy?
1: Yeah, that's part of it. So it's how race helps you understand self-efficacy, but also but how does, what, does, what does self-efficacy really look like for that particular group in that particular context. So it's really about having a deeper, deeper understanding of the construct as, as that particular group possesses and utilizes that construct. And so I think we have this perception uh, in educational psychology, in psychology as a whole, that one construct kind of fits all. And that when we say, you know, this is the way a construct operates, we assume it operates the same for everybody. But that's not always the case that, you know, there are different ways in which people experience things. And so what we're saying is that, you know, we actually need to take these constructs and really see what it really is it like for particular groups.
2: Yeah, and that's sort of a post-positivistic perspective. And the, the idea is that you, if you study self-efficacy in one group, it'll work that way for all groups. Uh, and this sort of troubles that assumption that uh, these are universal constructs, that if you know how they work one place, they'll work the same way every place else. And uh, that's probably not a, a useful assumption.
0: And, and Paul, I thought you did a nice job in the article, both of you did a nice job of talking about universalism as this sometimes unexamined assumption in psychological research and how psychologists often take this kind of absolutist view. And I mean, one thing I've noticed is when you begin to trouble those ideas, as you mentioned, um, sometimes psychologists go or assume that you are um, suggesting that they go all the way to the other side, which is, well, there is nothing that is common across human experience. Um, But my sense is that's not quite what you mean in the article.
2: Uh, No, I, I come at it and I think Jessica and I have had this conversation a a number of times. Uh, We come at it uh, where we, I mean, there are, I think there are a few universal constructs. Uh, I think what, what we're trying to trouble is the assumption that it's universal without checking the universality of it. Uh, and those are very different things. To assume that it's universal and we have some constructs in psychology where they are theoretically driven and then people create survey instruments using those theoretically driven constructs uh, and then never really talk to people about what, those, what the ideas behind those constructs mean. And so it's not that we don't think there are universal constructs, it's the idea that you can't assume that there are universal. Uh, You need to look at it in different contexts and see. Uh, It's sort of the difference between, uh, in philosophy of science, the idea of verification versus falsification. Uh, So the idea with verification, you're just trying to find more situations where you get the same results. Whereas falsification, you're also looking to see where this theory doesn't work. And that can be useful information as well.
1: Right. And I just want to add that you also have to keep in mind a lot of times people of color are not included in any of the norming for the development of these theories or any of the measures that scales that are measure are designed to measure these theories. And so so when we come up with this idea this is a oh, this is supposed to be um this, this universal um theory that should apply to everybody, but everybody was never included in the creation of the theory or even the the scales used to measure that theory. I
0: I think that's an excellent point, and it reminds me of, in qualitative research, one of the things I really like about that paradigm is that they explicitly look for discrepant cases. They explicitly try to push on the inferences they're making um, to see how they hold up um, in different populations or different groups, different contexts, or different uh, circumstances, and uh, it sounds like what you're saying, and which I agree with, is that uh, an assumption of universality um, doesn't explicitly include that kind of uh, testing or that kind of assumption that there d- you do need to search out those discrepant cases.
2: Yeah, and I'm not sure that's just a qualitative thing. I think it's more of a philosophy of science, how you look at research thing. Uh, because you can do the same thing with quantitative methods or mixed methods, you can look for where it doesn't work. It's, it's not method dependent.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's a point that you also make really well in the paper is that um, you know it's not the case that quantitative methods are good for, uh, are not good for investigating these issues and qualitative or mixed are, but rather that all three need to be utilized, and. Uh, that all three are applicable, but you've got to put race and the social historical context and history of race at the center of the research.
2: Yes. uh, However, quantitative, at least at this point, does struggle a little bit with the fluidity of race in the sense that it tends to treat race as a categorical variable. And that can be problematic in a sense that the they tend not to be mutually exclusive categories. So I think the changing rate of this is, is something that's interesting. And if you take a construct or an idea or a, an identity like Hispanic, Latinx, and I mean, if you think about all the potential. Groups that are involved in that, so people from Guatemala, El Salvador, Puerto Rico, Panama, Cuba, uh, Mexico, all those folks would be considered uh, Hispanic, yet it's it's pretty hard to assume that they're all the same. Uh, And I've had, in my classes here at UTSA, I've had students from all those areas, but when I call them all Hispanic, that's uh, maybe a little bit problematic. And even if you drill down a little bit more into uh, Mexican, I have students in my class, and San Antonio is kind of unique uh, in that I have some whose families have always been here in San Antonio. Uh, San Antonio is one of those places where people didn't necessarily cross the border, the border crossed them. There's also Mexican uh, of indigenous descent, there are Mexican of African descent, uh, there are Mexicans of European descent, uh, and then we have a category of folks who, when you ask about identity questions, they just simply say they're from the valley, and uh, the valley meaning the Rio Grande Valley, but everybody here know acknowledges they know where they're from. They're from the valley. Uh, so, and those categories are not mutually exclusive, uh, so how do you put those together, and how do you understand that? And you could do the same thing with Asian Pacific Islanders. They don't fit those categories very well sometimes
0: so that's that's a great example of the need to not make any assumptions, uh, particularly from a you know a kind of a white normative perspective that you can categorize or that those categories um, are immediately obvious or static. And um, Jessica, I know that you've called for increased engagement in kind of culturally relevant and sensitive research that's focusing on race. And it sounds like what Paul just described is one reason why that's really needed, because um, it's, uh, it's unfortunately been the case in educational psychology that we've oversimplified the idea of race and um, how it plays out in people's educational experiences.
1: Right. And part of it is that there has to be a real focus on race or race-related issues. And when I mean focus, you know, I mean, it has to be everywhere. It has to be in your research question somewhere. Um, you know, it has, so it has to be meaningful. It has to be, you know, in in your analysis. What's, you know, what theories are you using to analyze, um, your, your data? Um, you know, um, what, what theories, uh, you know, what, what's in your theoretical framework? And so, um, so that's really important. And I think, you know, as we mentioned, you know, what instruments are you using? Are these culturally relevant instruments? And so all of those things are really important because they're all going to impact what, what, what your findings are going to be and what interpretations you're going to make from those findings. Because too many times, particularly when we're dealing with um, people of color, we, you know, and a lot you know, psychology unfortunately has a history of looking at people of color from a deficit perspective. So we have to make sure, you know, f- you know, if we're going to really start focusing on race, we have to be really careful what we use to study people of color if we're going to focus on race, because a lot of what's out there has been conceptualized and created from deficit perspectives.
0: Right. So and and that gets back to the uh, the kind of race re idea in that um, it could, you know, sometimes when a measure uh, doesn't seem to be Working as we expect with a particular group of people, we say, well, you know, there's something about the measure that's wrong or there's something about um, the the wording. But it could actually be that the construct itself is not properly conceptualized for that particular group. And maybe it was conceptualized with a, um, a white or a majority group that, um, you know, it could work OK for them. But we need to rethink the theory, not just the measure. Um if we're going to actually better understand how it exists in the world.
1: Right. So, I mean, the theory may be, you know, a little different for, you know, um, kids kids of color or, you know, or or the particular um, population you might be looking for. And the measure may be slightly different, you know, instead of a four factor solution, it may be a three or maybe a six, you know? So I think we have to kind of consider, you know, you know, it may be a little different. Um, And so when you, so when you go to use it, it might not be that, you know the the natural reaction is that oh these kids are are there a deficit because they're not performing as well on this measure. It may be that something may be wrong with the theory. The theory does not adhere well to this particular group. And I think that's where when the qualitative work does really come in handy because then we can really see well what are these kids experiencing. Um, You know, and then that's where mixed methods come well as well, come, come handy as well, because you have the qualitative and the quantitative data together and you can compare and contrast what you find. But I think it really does come down to we really do need to create more culturally relevant or culturally sensitive measures to particularly study populations of color.
0: And it sounds like those measures and those research studies need to take into account the social historical context in which students are experiencing the world, Um, because it could be the case that uh, for one particular group, the measure works because there aren't a lot of other factors maybe related to race that are affecting those students. But for a different group, those students are experiencing a fundamentally different set of factors that are changing the ways that they're understanding the world, the way they're experiencing the world. And if your research doesn't allow for those factors to emerge, you're you're going to miss uh, key aspects of what the construct is, how it's happening, and how the students are experiencing the world.
1: Right, because definitely cultural context really matters. Because I know here, you know, North Carolina, where we live, you know, uh, schooling and kids' schooling experiences are very different than say where Paul lives in San Antonio. And so I don't even, so I don't think if you know, for instance, we gave measures about schooling how the impact the how the school culture or the, the the cultural context impacts kind of who you are our students identity um, I, that measure would be very different for students living here in the raleigh durham area as opposed to kids living in the san antonio area i mean it's very different cultural context and i think we those are the kind of things we do have to keep in keep in consideration um, um, but at the same time you know, I, I do want to go back to I, I do think that there are some aspects the core aspects of theories that probably are the same for, you know, all groups. And so but that's the kind of thing that we do need to research and, and consider. Like these may be the, here are the, the common elements that are across all groups, or here are some elements that tend to differ amongst groups. And and, and figure out why. Is it because, you know, the cultural context the the historical experiences of these groups or or whatever? um, But but we don't know those things, as Paul was saying, because we haven't studied those things.
0: And your article uh, makes a really excellent case for why those assumptions of universality need to be tested. In the article, um, you identify that there's a lack of scholars of color in educational psychology and among kind of editors and reviewers for journals. And those might be some reasons why there's not a lot of research on race-focused or race-reimagined constructs in educational psychology. Um, and you suggest that critical approaches, like critical race theory, should be utilized and embraced as a way to further that kind of research. Um, I'm I'm just interested. How do you think the lack of critical approaches in educational psychology literature affects scholars of color and their experience in the field?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, it's really interesting. Um, when I just when I talk to people about you know, what field of psychology I'm in, I I'm in educational psychology. I used to get an interesting look because it's really unexpected. It's really unexpected that. I would be in educational psychology because even amongst my peers who may be in psychology or other fields of education, they just don't expect a black person to be in educational psychology because it's kind of known as being the white field of psychology. Um, and, and I just think that we just have that, that stereotype or that perception. And I think it's largely because of the kind of, kind of questions and things that historically we have covered. Um, And I think if you look at a lot of programs and departments across the country, there's not a lot of diversity in most programs, at least in terms of the faculty. Um, And so I think because of that, you know, you tend to research the things that you're interested in. And because we tend to be a faculty that's not as diverse, they tend to not ask as many questions dealing with diverse issues, um, just historically. Um, and then you tend to not get as many diverse um, graduate students. And then, you know, it becomes this, you know, it becomes historical. And over time, the field is, is not diverse. And so the idea of, of bringing in critical approaches to exploring um, research, uh, engaging in research, um, that over time, it just has been a lack of doing so. Whereas in other areas, you've seen a little bit more movement in, in, in doing that. So over time, I, I just think that but now we're starting to see, um, at least when I go to um, uh, AE or A or APA, you're starting, I'm starting to see more when I say more are still pretty small right? Um, but more students of color or, or more faculty of color. And then there is this, this, this growing movement of wanting to engage more in these types of conversations. And so I think there is this wanting to do this kind of work that's out there, um, but not just among people of color within the field, but um, I start, I'm just starting to see as a field as a whole, at least being receptive to having these kind of conversations.
2: Yeah, what we saw back when we, in 2014, when we, we, we did the article and leading up to it is few folks who were doing that sort of research simply aren't publishing in educational psychology journals. Now, as Jessica indicated, I think there has been some movement. There was a recent special issue in educational psychologists that dealt with some of these issues. Uh, there was a session at AERA uh, dealing with some of these issues uh, from, the, from the motivation sig, and I know there have been also, other special issues, one coming out in contemporary educational psychology. Uh, so, I, there's there's the emerging of a number of really good scholars of color who are dealing with some of these issues. So, it over the last 10 years, although it is still a small number, uh, it is a growing number, and... In the, in the midst of that, there are some really quality people.
0: And, I mean, frankly, I, I think a, a lot of that movement and the, um, the increased prominence of race and race-focused research is largely due to your article and due to your efforts. And so I think that's, that's wonderful. And you talk in the article about how there are these um, aspects of critical theory that I think apply really well to educational psychology And one of them is the idea that it's not enough to be to say that you're open or welcoming of research on race, but you've got to be willing, the majority needs to be willing to give something up, to make space, to change themselves and the way they think about things, um, rather than just inviting. Um, And I see the efforts that you two have done, because I know you've been involved in those AA race sessions and you're involved in the special issues – you're making space for these issues in ways that I hope help scholars of color um, feel like there is room and there is a, uh, a change that is happening for them um, and that they, they have a space to talk and to critique and to push the field. Um, but that has to happen by um, people making space for it, not just welcoming it in.
2: Yeah, and also uh, getting these folks on editorial boards. Is critical because that's the gatekeeper for journals. Uh, And so those are also critical issues, getting them in positions of power. And that might be a little strong, but that's important as well.
1: Right. And also getting um, um, journals to be open to a variety of methodologies. And so, you know, yes, we can get people on an editorial boards and, and get them to be reviewers. But then if the journals are like, no, but we're, we're just not going to publish that work because, you know, our audience is not going to be interested. Then, you know, um, the people are willing who want to actually publish that work are just going to take their work somewhere else. So we have to make sure that we're at least as a field becoming more open to a variety of methodologies as well.
0: And, and again, your article does a nice job of laying out how those, uh, methodological expansions can be enacted and what they mean for research and how they can uh, make a real contribution to educational psychology. And um, I think that's really important, too, because scholars who want to do this work and use those methodologies need to feel like they are valued. Otherwise, they'll, they'll leave. I mean, I, I can recall uh, a number of years ago, um, there was real concern about people leaving um, educational psychology divisions in major organizations. Um, for other divisions that seemed more welcoming and seemed like places that were actually interested in that work, and if you're not um, if you don't have people on editorial boards and program review committees that understand and value the methodologies and the measurements and the theories um, that these folks are using, then why would they stay? It makes perfect sense that they would go somewhere else where they felt more valued
1: right i mean i'll be i'll be honest i i belong always belong to Multiple divisions, and um, my my work actually has been more accepted in other divisions. Um, but you know, I've kind of more and more recent years, my work has been more accepted in ethnic divisions. So it's, it's really hard because you kind of if you do this work for a long time, you've kind of had to have one foot in one camp and one foot in the other camp. It's like you've always kind of had to be bilingual, speaking to to um, different groups. And um, so it's really nice now to kind of see the s site feel actually being more receptive to this kind of work and, and not having to always speak to hold other disciplines
0: well and that's that's good to hear and that's a that's a great example of how the structure of a scholarly field like educational psychology can disadvantage scholars who are doing this kind of work because if you if you feel like you have to have your feet in two different divisions and you have to publish in journals that educational psychologists may not be as aware of when it comes time for tenure when it comes time for review um it could be the case that the people that review your materials don't recognize those journals. That can be a disadvantage, and that's um, that's unfair to the scholars, and it's unfair to the field. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you feel like the um, educational psychology as a field is becoming more accepting because it's also reducing a structural problem um, for scholars interested in this work.
1: Well, particularly for younger scholars, you end up having to cultivate more relationships and network more. And particularly, you know, I mean, the, the, the there are, there's a ton of research that talks about the extra stress that particularly faculty of color, a young faculty of color, already have been in academy. But then that adds an extra uh, layer of emotional labor that you have to deal with having to navigate, you know, that extra arena of things or having to publish in, um, in, in multiple
2: areas. And I think Jeff, you bring up a good point, because when, when that goes to... Uh... Uh, tenure promotion committees as well, the uh, is that valued? Uh, if you are an educational psychology department, you're looking for particular uh, journals. And if your research is not uh, welcomed in those journals, then when you come up for tenure and promotion, you're going to be coming in with a list of different journals that may or may not be as well
0: accepted. So there's... Uh... There's the emotional work, Jessica, that you mentioned um, that many scholars of color have to do that's different than um, other scholars who are not scholars of color have to experience, but then there's also a need to get published, and if you publish in um, journals that aren't recognized by um, the people who are doing the reviewing, then that's also an issue. And so these structural problems um, really do require a critical lens. And I think your article does a really excellent job of discussing what critical race theory is, how it, it's its various aspects, and how it can be applied to education and educational psychology, um, not just in terms of the research, but also in how educational psychology exists as a discipline. And that's really important. Um, and you've mentioned a number of um, outcomes, of your article, I think it's directly related to your article in terms of uh, symposia, at conferences, and special issues, etc. I'm kind of curious, you know, as we've discussed, your article came out in 2014, so it's it's been about five years. Um, if you were go- if you were writing this article today, in what ways do you think the message of the article would be the same, and how do you think it might be different?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure it would be that much different. I, to be perfectly honest, I think there has been some journals where there might be a little bit more of that in there. Uh, if we're talking simply our, what we did when we looked at what journals were doing, that aspect of the article. Uh, I'm not sure it's changed that much, even though I've, you know, seen more junior scholars, and these tend to be junior scholars who are looking at race, although there are a a couple of veterans in the field who have continued, uh, Sandra Graham would be an example. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure it'd be that much different, that part of it. Now, conceptually, would we end it up in the same spot now? That's a good question. I don't know. Jessica?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think most of it would stay the same, but I think you know we might particularly – Talk a little bit more now, look at because we're in an interesting political context now, um, particularly you know, with the rise of uh, white nationalism around the world, anti immigrant, anti refugee sem- sentiments. And so, I think we probably would have added a little bit more about maybe internationally, kind of what um, this word kind of means. Because you know, we talk more about the U.S. context, but I think this is very relevant for what's going on internationally as well. So I think we may have talked a little bit more about that. I think we had a slant more in the article about the role, particularly, of scholars of color. But I think um, we really, there's a lot of work, particularly white faculty or white scholars actually can do with this work. I know we highlighted uh, critical race theory, but there's critical white studies that really we can can highlight as well. And there are a ton of other um, culturally relevant theories that we can highlight you know there's a lot of feminist different feminist theories that we can highlight um there are a lot of uh, anti-colonial theories so there are a lot of other theories that we really could talk about in terms of critical theories um critical um theories that involve race that we could actually highlight so i think we probably would talk a little bit more about a variety of theories that could be used by scholars
0: That makes sense to me. There's no doubt the social political context has changed tremendously from 2014 to 2019. And I don't know how you talk about education and the experience of learners nowadays without talking about that context. And I I really liked your point about the critical whiteness studies and um, anti-colonial studies. And you mentioned in the article intersectionality. My sense is that intersectionality has become even more prominent in the literature. And so my guess would be that would those would be other things that uh, might be even stronger um, or more prominent in the article where you read it today.
1: Yeah, I definitely think, you know, particularly, you know, if we think about, um, for instance, intersectionality, I mean, there's a lot of work that talks about underrepresentation representation of, of women of color in different contexts. I definitely think there's a lot of work um, that we could have, you know, highlighted or talked more about that, um, you know, the anti-colonialism, uh, you know, it's really interesting. You know, with the anti-immigrant uh, movements across the, you know, across the world, a lot of that is um, rooted in um, colonialism. So, just a, you know, some of the anti-colonial frameworks would be really helpful for people to kind of understand how that impacts what goes on in schools, particularly in a lot of particularly European contexts. So, I definitely think there would be a lot that we could really add, um, or we could really say. And kind of what's going on, or even just what's going on in our own schools here in the U.S. About um, kind of what this race look like, or what this race look like, or how does race impact schooling here in here in the U.S. Particularly with um, ICE in Texas, where Paul is, like, what does schooling look like for for kids of Latinx background, particularly in this uh, social political context? So I think there's a lot that we definitely could talk about.
0: Um, I guess I'm wondering. Uh, why you think there's increased interest in race as a focus of education research and and scholarship in general? Um, what, what's why are folks even more interested in it now than in the past?
1: Well, I think you know in other areas, you know, race has been real, real important. It's, it's always been a major focus, but I, I think you know remember in 2014, people were saying, oh, you know, we're in this post-racial society, and so race wasn't um, as Big of a issue, but definitely in educational psychology. But I think now politically, I think that you know people are actually starting to see a lot of the racial issues. I know there are a lot of um, the police shootings that people began to see um, and began to really question things. Uh, so there's a lot that has been that has happened that had a lot of race that were race related since 2014, and so people are starting to really ask different questions, and so. On top of that, as we talked a little bit about now, you know, there's a little bit, little bit more growing diversity in, um, in Ed Psych and and um, some of the students that are going to Ed Psych and then you know, and then with just all the growing movements that's going on across in, in, across the, in the world, and, and so I think now it's like we you know we can no longer as a field sit on the sidelines. We you know we can't just say hey that's for other people to talk about and do and explore. We you know, we can, we should be doing this too.
2: I think also there has been uh, with the focus on STEM education and educational psychology uh, by researchers looking for funding. Uh, part of that has also included issues of underrepresentation of people of color, women in the STEM fields, and also, a focus more on getting in classrooms and looking at sort of the social contextual aspects of that. And once you do that, uh, once you get into classrooms and look at why, uh, you know, the underrepresentation of women and people of color, then I, I'm not sure you can do that work without some understanding of race and beginning to explore those constructs as well. So I think it's also part of that is our interest in STEM fields in educational psychology has pushed some of that as well.
0: Well, and that that certainly calls for the kind of research that you discuss in the article where you can't go in just assuming that race is a moderator or a category across which you can examine effects. You've got to take more mixed approaches to really try to understand those students' experience and understand the context so that you can best understand then how to help students in that context be successful. Yes, I would agree. So again, uh, thank you so much. Uh, The article is entitled, Researching Race within Educational Psychology Context. It was published in 2014 in Educational Psychologist. Uh, I think it's a wonderful introduction to these ideas and it has certainly spurred a tremendous amount of research and growing interest in this area that I I hope continues. Um, And I just wanna thank both of you for taking some time to talk to me.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank
0: you.